I'm Dr. Gene Hemsler, and you're listening to Money Talks, Atlanta's longest-running and most respected money show on radio. For more than 25 years, my associates and I have been providing straightforward, no-nonsense advice for your financial questions. Email us at drgene at hemsler.com. That's D-R-G-E-N-E at H-E-N-S-S-L-E-R dot com. This broadcast of Money Talks originally aired Saturday, June 1st, Good morning. You're listening to Money Talks, Atlanta's longest running and most respected money show on radio. I am your host today, Nick Antonucci, joined by Jacob Keene from the Research Department and from the Planning Department, DJ Barker. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, guys. Great What's to have on? you on. Filling in for uh, Troy and the usual gang this week. That's right. While he gets to enjoy yeah. a nice summer vacation, we're slaving I, away. What's up with office. that? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Troy never takes vacation. No, why, no. why does he think it's okay to do so now? Yeah. Has he not? As the markets Has he, he not, not seen what's, seen what's happening in the, in the markets? I today. think that's why he bailed. This is insane. Now that's that you point that out, it's actually a smart move on his you know, part. Let's get him yeah. on the phone. Let's do a surprise, a surprise you call in. You know, but you're calling Guess in what? for the show. Guess what? You're calling in for the show today, folks. <laughs> well, guys, unfortunately, it is true that the market has been selling off. Right? Yeah. We're down. You know, selling off. It tends well, we to get crazy. sensationalized. Yeah. We see, you know, a handful of consecutive down days. Mm-hmm. Today included, as of right now, Thursday afternoon, the market's marginally lower. Um, but we're only five and a half percent off the high. Yeah, on had, the year we're up what eleven? Yeah, exactly. Right, so, so <laughs> yeah, it fell hard. Fourth quarter. Yeah, so it you ramped up twenty percent. <laughs> it came back and now it's coming back down. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, like you said, year to date we're up what eleven percent. That is that, that yeah. doesn't even include total returns. So you throw dividends in there, it's even higher. Um, Interesting stuff going on different different time periods though. I mean, you look year to date. You got tech winning, right? Yeah. You look year over year, you see you got real, real estate and utilities up yep. there at the top. The bond proxies. Yeah. And, I mean, bond market's been been hot. It has. I mean, yeah. we got down to, what, 223 two, 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 yeah. on the 10-year? Unbelievable, yeah. And we, the high was, what, 3, 2 in, in some change? Yeah, that sounds right. Almost it, like a full percent month, lower. Was that a 20-month low on... On the tenure, is that right? I, if I'm remembering I believe that so. right, yeah, I believe so. Yeah, so it's been an interesting week, uh, two weeks, stock market and bond market alike, um, and we, we continue to have that yield curve inversion. This is something we talked about on the show. I know, uh, you know, several weeks now. Yeah. Um, and this isn't, isn't something new with the tenure and the and the three month being inverted. It still is the case. We haven't seen that ten. 10 minus 2, the 10-year inverted with the 2-year, um, no. but it got down, I think, 15, as low as 15 bips, 13 bips. It's pretty close. Base points. So, yeah. Right. It's and I think, I think this, this time is kind of unique. Of course, I'm a younger guy. I'd, I'd like to think I'm a student of history. But, I mean, we're, we're sitting here today, and basically the market's pricing in two rate cuts. It is. For it, the rest of the year. So I think that's part of the reason that you haven't seen the inversion of the 10 and the 2, like you've seen with the 10 and the 3-month, 
because the two's lower because we're expecting rates to move lower. Right. You know, we've already priced it in. Yeah, you look out to September. We we get to use uh, the Bloom our Bloomberg terminal here at the office that shows you implied uh, probability of rate rate hikes, rate cuts. And if you look out to September, um, I think there's a 56% likelihood of a rate increase in September. A, uh, a rate cut. cut excuse yeah. me. A rate a, cut. No, we're not hiking. Quite yeah, the you just crashed the market. Hey, and hey, there we go. Hey, hey go, three, go three months back and what <laughs> I'm saying. Yeah. Let's throw out the phone number line. for Nick. Yeah. Yeah. You, <laughs> leave that out. Make please. your comments. Uh, Don't yeah. say that number. <laughs> um, but, but what's funny is you go back three months ago, and that was that was the story. Right. Another rate yeah. hike. Right. Well, yeah, and our clients are getting used to, well, okay, <laughs> I'm not saying used to. You know, we had basically 10 years of flat, right? Then it just inched up a little, and now we're talking about the potential of those. Oh, you can get those. 3%? Yeah, the 10-year rule. You know, remember, we got to have the fixed income set aside, so we're talking we may have a reduction. That is, you know, that's a, that's yeah. a, that's a tough pill to swallow when you're looking at retirees. Yep. Again. And, and a lot of that is why you see some of these bond proxy type sectors do right. really well, um, like the real estate and utilities. Those are going to be your high-yielding sectors. Um, market as a whole getting a good bit more defensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, moving on to economic news for the week, we had yeah. durable goods orders come in, uh, fell 2.1% in April, second decrease in the last three months. Um, obviously not something that you want to see, your durable goods. It's mostly driven, I think, by non-defense aircraft components, um, but even core capital goods orders fell um, almost 1% in the month. Um, skip ahead to Tuesday, housing-related news. House uh, price appreciation decelerated again in March. Year-over-year growth in the 20-city composite fell 2.7%, uh, fell to 2.7% growth from 3% uh, in, fe- in February. If you're looking year-over-year, year, the 10-city uh, index dropped 2. to 2.3% growth from 25 um, and then national house price index decelerated to 3.7% growth from 3.9% growth. And the housing market as a whole, seeing a lot of weakness right now. New home yeah. sales, existing home sales, um, decline after decline after decline. So uh, housing has been on a slippery slope here for some time, I feel like. Right. And the expectation naturally would be you'd see some firming here with rates moving. I mean, houses have gotten more affordable. They have. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. That <laughs> would make sense. But mortgage rates down, but that's just not, not say, I mean, it's not, it's not horrible data, but it's, Right. Definitely yeah, it's not. still growth. It's just yeah. a, a deceleration of growth. But, uh, you know, exactly what you just said. With rates being lower, you'd expect to see maybe people inching further into right. the market. And you've got mortgage applications falling 3.3% in the week. And there's two components of that. You've got uh, applications for purchase and you've got refis. Both were down. So people at this point aren't even, you know, taking advantage of refinancing anymore as, as low as rates are. Um, kind of in a, a holding pattern, it seems like, as far yeah. as housing housing is concerned. Um, consumer confidence this is one of the things that despite, I, I mean, this past month we've seen a, a lot of weakening in economic data, but the consumer still seems to be pretty optimistic. Both components, um, current conditions and forward-looking, were positive, were, you know, were moving up. And, and if you look at anything else consumer, like uh, what is it, University of Michigan, continues to post right. pretty solid numbers. Then you have retail sales, which were down in the month. So to me, that's kind of indicative of, of what the consumer's doing. But uh, according to these surveys, the consumer still seems pretty optimistic despite ongoing concerns with you know trade war with China and, and the market pulling back some. And and I think a lot of that is the jobs market. I mean, You're right, it remains that is solid, strong. Yeah. Rock yeah. solid. We continue to move lower and 
continuing jobless claims. Yeah, we had a little up, week. we had a little uptick there for for a bit a few months back, but we're back making new lows in the moving average yeah. now, wow. and I think that's kind of feeding on itself as far as confidence goes. It's kind of like two different stories here, and then you look at the capital side. You know, businesses trying to make their capital plans, they have no idea what's going to happen as far as the trade war goes. A lot of uncertainty. Yeah. <laughs> so. They're kind of renting it in. Right. The consumers kind of like, I still got my job. Yeah. And there's a lot <laughs> of opportunities. People, you know, yeah. you know, moving up and, and albeit at a slow pace, you're seeing uh, you know, incomes rise. Right. Wages rise. Right. Um, so yeah, we had uh today though we got the another reading of first quarter GDP revised down point one percent from I think three point two to three point one percent. All in all it's a solid first quarter reading. Um but you know, with with PMI data we've seen in the past month, it's a bit concerning what Q2 is going to bring. Well, I mean, right now we're looking at estimates to be right around that 3% number. But uh, again, yeah, like you said, U.S. PMIs are uh, coming down coming down a bit. And it's really, it's really less of a U.S. story as, as it is just the globe as a whole. I mean, you look at you look at uh, Germany right now, uh, their, their PMIs are actually in contraction. And I think, really, ultimately, the the major story. I, I think I showed you this chart. Nick. If you look at uh, percentage change in global trade, mm-hmm. we're looking at numbers right now that we, we last saw in '08. Yeah, the recession. So, as far as trade between countries, you're really seeing a slowdown there. And when you think of manufacturing, you know, probably probably not the businesses that the average consumer works in, but ma- manufacturing type businesses. That whole that whole trade is slowing down. It's really, you know, hurting growth right now. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of people, you know, want to point back to China and say, oh, well, you know, if we get in this standoff with China, China's going to get hurt a lot worse than the U.S. And and that's the case. But as we've talked about, it's it's not 30 years ago where everyone kind of operates in this isolated, uh, right. you know, bubble. If China's not going to get hurt without us getting hurt. Uh, you know, al- along with it. So, and this is a conversation we'll continue, uh, you know, a- in the next segment. But uh, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, we listen to Money Talks. Don't touch that dial. You ain't This is the dog. The dog of the week. You guys know what time it is. I love it. I, I love that we love changed it, it up. It's I was new, a little yeah. burnt out on the yeah. the who let the dogs out. Yeah, the, I like this so much better. Oh, yeah. All right, guys, this is a tough one because you really have to see it to understand it. Okay. But I'm going to try my best. So we've all seen the, the first pitch of a baseball game. Mm-hmm. You know, they bring someone in to throw out the first pitch. Sure. It's a high-pressure situation. Seen countless oh, yeah. videos, whether it be the president or Fifty Cent or Chris Christie, or some funny videos of people who are throwing horrific pitches. Sure, but we have like a new champion of the worst first pitch of all time. This lady in the sh- at the Chicago White Sox game. I don't know who she is, but she goes up there to throw the first pitch, and she hits the cameraman who's like a good eight, ten feet left. Nailed the catcher. him just right, a bit outside. Just, <laughs> a little more Nailed than a him. bit. She, she drills him right in the lens of his camera. And and his reaction was so perfect. Oh, like he, he looks pissed. Yeah. He looks pissed. Uh, really? The catcher, the catcher just like puts his hands on his head, like doesn't know how to react. It was almost like the entire stadium like 
held their breath for a second too. Yeah, like, like it, I haven't what? seen it, but then those cameras, you those lenses it? are. Yeah, he said his oh. camera's fine and he's fine. It oh, looks okay. like it hits him in the face after, but it doesn't. But it's worth. <laughs> it's so embarrassing. It's, you have to watch it. It's worth. It's worth oh, googling. It, it's also like you know you're that bad at throwing, How so you can you yeah. can be like move a little more to the left just in case. Hey, Did here you I just gotta, find out. I do that on the golf like, course. Yeah, all the time. I was gonna say you didn't have, you any, didn't have any practice. Yeah. Yeah. You just you know they just pick somebody out of the crowd. Hey, you're gonna throw the first <laughs> exactly. today. Exactly. Wait, what? Yeah, I don't know. That's uh, or maybe go underhand. Yeah. Ouch. That's yeah. awesome. That's actually that's a good it's, solution. The underhand throw. I think his I think his camera saved his face though. Oh, for sure. He would have gotten drilled right in the face. Yeah. Yeah, that's classic. That it is. All right, guys. Very nice. Back into it. So where we left off talking about, you know, market roundup, what's going on in the economy in the the previous week. And we talk about um, the market being down 5.5% or so. And it brings into question, we get this a lot, is this the typical sell in May pattern or is really the weight of the the trade war with China, yield curve inversion, et cetera, is it more telling? What What is really going on? And, you know, it's... It's it's hard to say, but I in, in my opinion, this is not your typical I, – I say this, so I'm sure the market will take off after I say this, but this right. is not your typical sell in May and go away pattern. I think there's some underlying fundamentals of the economy that you're seeing cracks in now um, and that aren't going to go away in the, in the near term. I mean, we've right. had a good run, right? I mean, we're talking about 2007, 2008. It's, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we're due. It's for some <laughs> additional yeah. change in the market. We, we've seen that. We've had a good run, so – yeah, I think you're right. We're going into a presidential election, yeah. Which is Washington saying, you know, Would, they're not getting along too good there, right? You know, so I think, yeah, I mean, you're looking at some flawed fundamentals that we're we're going to have to work out for a little bit, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. I think and, it's and interesting the, the interplay between kind of the politics and the tariffs because it's like both Xi and Trump have to worry about. Okay, well, I got to. I've got to keep things together long enough to stay in office. Yeah. I've got to really <laughs> start working boat, something out. The next boat comes up. So, Yeah, I guess that kind of puts it in perspective. I saw an article, I don't know if it was in the Financial Times or, or, or The Economist, but they're talking about, or it might have been an analyst report, he's talking about this is not going to be a short term, something that plays out in the short term. Like this guy was throwing out like 2030. Like this is a, this is a right. long term uh, kind of fiasco we're dealing with here. And, you know, it's. Uh, for the longest time, I, I complain to you all the time that you'll get some sort of comments out of the president or, or out of China saying we're working towards a, a deal, and the market moved on that significantly right. earlier this year. And it, we've come to the point now where I feel like that's starting to wear off. We've seen this happen in other sorts mm. of situations where you know, I remember being on the radio show years ago where these terror attacks would happen more and more frequently. The market yeah. just became immune to them and wouldn't move. I almost feel like we're finally getting immune to some of that right. uh, so, you know. Some of the verbiage coming out of the White House or China, and then it's like finally we're to the point where it's show me something. Yeah, so yeah, you got to do something. Don't just talk about it. Let's see some action. Yeah, and I think, I think the rhetoric on both sides has gotten a little more hostile. I mean, mm. you have um, folks over in China talking about potentially banning exports of rare earth metals, which and that's that huge goes for the tech industry. That goes into almost everything. I mean, you think about defense, automobiles. Yeah. And Jacob, you bring that Consumer up. Consumer electronics. That's a we get eighty percent of our rare earth metals from China. So two things. Uh, one, I did a little research for the show, and and I actually saw that back in two thousand fourteen, um, the World Trade Organization ruled that China could not impose any restrictions on rare earth metals, metal exports, um, deeming it illegal. Uh, they did it with Japan. So I'm curious right. as to how that that plays into everything. And secondly. 
someone in the company brought this up to, to me this morning. Why would they put an overall ban on him and not just raise the – whether you slap a tariff on it or something like that, um, and then it's then you just – you have your revenues increase. I mean supplies – demand is going to come down, but why would China not – It's It's really the only – punitive measure that they that they could take against us at this point i mean there's not that there's not that much that. that there's not that much that we import from them from them yeah, yeah tariff like said, would be effective but like a ban you're, you're talking about complete disruption of supply chains sure and and that you know as a as a tactic that would maybe start to turn the tides domestically as far as more companies being like all right yeah let's all right. think Think about companies like Apple's the perfect example. Where's the majority of Apple's growth coming from? China. Right. Uh, oh, you start yeah. to see that. You see, you've even seen them boycotting American products as of late. So it's not, it's not this non-issue for the United States. I think some people are like, oh, it's the U.S. or China. We have, you know, we have more power here. We shouldn't worry about it. It's not going to hurt us. It'll, it's going gonna, it's gonna to play in yeah. to the U.S. economy. For and sure. I, think, I think all of this just kind of speaks to the precarious situation that we're in. I mean, we got a yield curve inversion, right? Mm-hmm. That on the last seven recessions preceded the recession by 15 months. We did have a global s- slowdown, you know, in 2015 and 2016, but we at least had some labor slack. And then you think about growth. Where's all the growth come from for the past 10 years? It's been China. China. I mean, you look at the contribution to global GDP growth. It's like 30% China, 33% the rest of Asia. So two-thirds as far as that area of the world. (laughs) And we're poking them with a stick right Right, now. Right. At a time where their GDP growth is the lowest it's been over a decade as well. So it's... And what about this week? We we were talking about this. You had your first bank seizure in China. A bank who, by all accounts, was financially stable through 2018. Right. Balance sheet looked, looked solid and all of a sudden... You know, China comes in and they basically take over this bank out of nowhere. Hmm. Surprise, $85 billion in assets. Yeah. Swept that under the rug. It, yeah, it, it's it a brings small into question, portion. It's like, yeah, it's a very small portion of Chinese banking sector. But it does show that, you know, there's a, there's been a massive growth in debt in China. I mean, s- some measures show China's debt to GDP at over 300%. Yeah. And it, to, to me, it even brings more into question just... Back to something we've discussed plenty of times. Do you trust the data coming out of China? If this bank was, quote, financially sound, if you right. believe the numbers on the balance sheet, and and just six months into the new year, you have to take this bank over, were, were, those, num- were those good numbers? Yeah, was that really a That's, it's like It's like if the regulators are also a, a part of the, the <laughs> political apparatus, and it's kind of like, oh, <laughs> mm, uh, okay, sure. <laughs> Yeah, that looks about right. Yeah. <laughs> that looks about right. Well, I think just like if you take step back and look at the economy as a whole, it's not things haven't just absolutely fallen apart, but we're starting to see see cracks. Yeah. And and I think you know you need to be mindful of those. And the risk of recession is on the rise. Mm-hmm. The one caveat being, if we get a deal done, then oh, yeah, let's go full moonshot. I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, <laughs> I think that'll happen. <laughs> But do you get new highs at that point, or you go back to where – I mean, because it felt like the highs we reached before in April were like, this is highs, you assume you get a trade deal done. Right. 
We well, right now we're pricing in as far as just looking SP 500. We're pricing what like six or seven percent growth for the year. Yeah. Where does that move to with the deal done? Right. You think? Who knows? I don't, that is the question. I think it's almost gotten to the point where on either side they're afraid to show weakness because at this point in the in the game, politically it makes less sense to get a deal done. But I don't know if markets continue to suffer more. Maybe that changes the calculus. Yeah. We'll see. Oh, well, uh, yeah, exactly. I think we will see here and, and hopefully the not so distant future. But guys, this is a perfect time for us to take a quick break. Um, when, when we do come back in the next segment, we're going to have a uh, Travis suit on. Um, he's the founder of Piper Piper's angels. We're going to be discussing kind of an upcoming, exciting venture. DJ is embarking on That's right. uh, just 15 days away. So, uh, don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Money Talks. I'm your host, Nick Antonucci. Again, joined today by DJ Barker and Jacob Keene from our research department. And uh, guys, DJ's doing something really cool, really crazy. Next month? Is it yeah. next month? We are 15 days away. In 15 days, 15 he's going days. to be paddleboarding from the Bahamas across the Gulf Stream to Florida and this is all part of Crossing for the Cure, which is a really cool uh, paddle, uh, paddleboarding challenge and race to raise awareness for cystic fibrosis. Is that right, DJ? Yeah, that's absolutely right. So Piper's Angels Foundation, uh, they, they do this event every year. They've done it the last few years, and they, this is their, their big moneymaker. So we need to support Travis, Piper's Angels, and, uh, and kind of talk about what they do. So we have online Travis. Uh, what's going on, man? Hey. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Yeah, we're happy to have you. So we're 15 days away. I just looked today. We're at, it looks like from uh, online, you're at $450,882,000. No way. Yeah. 450 grand. So good job on the fundraising. <laughs> yeah, well, all the thanks goes to our paddlers and to our captains and crew and everybody out there who's doing the, the majority of the fundraising uh, you know, it's a crowdfunded event, and uh, that's a big part of what, what makes it work. You know, the teamwork makes the dream work. So um, it's a huge success for us. Uh, the event has, you know, grown in size uh, year over year. It's more than doubled. And so we're just um, swimming in gratitude for the appreciation we have for all the support. Yeah, that's unbelievable. I watched the TED Talk you did uh, a while back, and, and just hearing that number from DJ just now, Travis, I think in, in the, at the time of the TED Talk, it was, I want to say, about $50,000 you had raised. So hearing $450,000, that's impressive that's growth amazing. in the short time that, that, uh, that Piper's Angels has, has been an organization. So congrats on that. So, Travis, yeah, thank you very much. Travis, give us a little background. So tell us a little bit about uh, Piper's Angels and the crossing, kind of you know, why you're doing the crossing, what got you inspired, and, and kind of some history as to where, where you got started in this. Sure. Yeah. So Piper, my daughter, was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis when she was four. And now in a lot of states, they pre-screen at birth, but she had missed the pre-screening in Florida by a couple months. And so she had signs, um, you know, early on that something was wrong. They couldn't figure out what it was and nail it down. But eventually, when she was four, um, she got pneumonia. And I mean, when I say like it was 
it was really difficult to watch her go through it because we didn't know what was wrong. But, I mean, she would lie awake at night and just cough, and she sounded like somebody who had been smoking for 50 years. It was uh, just a deep, wet cough. And, and you know, it, it was um, as much as the diagnosis of a terminal progressive disease for your child is, is absolutely devastating and heartbreaking, there was this, you know, sense of relief, at least that we knew what was wrong and that we now could treat it and now could find, you know, ways to help her. And so um, at her first cystic fibrosis clinic, you know, we were asking a lot of questions. And at that point, you know, her future had really had this shadow of uncertainty cast around it. And when you don't know much about a disease and you just get thrust into this world of, you know, of learning all these different aspects of it, and you read about all the horror stories online, it's really, it can be overwhelming. And so, you know, we were asking things like, well, what can we do? You know, what sports can we keep her in? What should we do to help keep her lungs healthy? Um, And they told us at her first clinic appointment about this amazing connection to cystic fibrosis surfers in Australia in the 90s. And there was a doctor out there who became the lead doctor on a study that proved that sodium chloride, like your everyday table salt, mm-hmm. uh, in the air and the water of the ocean, when in a, in a environment like surfing or paddling and being out there, even near the beach where you get that mist, that it can be incredibly beneficial for somebody with cystic fibrosis. And the basic science of that is, Salt, when it's breathed in and inhaled, it goes into the lungs, it hits the liner of the lungs, it helps to break down the sticky mucus and congestion that builds up, which is the main symptom that people with cystic fibrosis have as a genetic disease, and it provides basically better airway clearance by hydrating the liner of the lungs and allowing for them to um, excrete out the, the, the thick mucus that builds up and causes all the complications. So that was at that time, such a gift. And so to be living in Florida already and to be given this, you know, miracle really to be able to get her out in a natural healing environment, um, it was a very empowering way to kind of take some of the control back that we had felt was really, you know, yanked out from underneath us. And, um, and that's how I got into paddling. I wasn't a paddler or surfer before that, but taking Piper out on the board, she, you know, she was only four so she was a little nugget on the front of the board, and yeah. we would go paddle. And, you know, down here in South Florida, we're very fortunate that we have some beautiful water. You see a lot of wildlife, manatees and turtles and dolphins. And, you know, for a little kid, that's, it's quite a, it's quite a, a magic, magic world, you know. And yeah. her imagination would run wild, and she would share stories of, you know, princesses and mermaids. And, and some of those moments were some of the, my favorite that I cherished from her childhood – um, now that she's getting older, and and that's how I got into paddleboarding, and that's, why we ended up getting her out on the water, and and how this whole thing really got started, and why we do this crossing. That's unbelievable. How did you how did you uh, I guess decide on on the journey being from the Bahamas to Florida? I mean that that's that's well, quite the distance. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I like to think big, and I I like <laughs> to. Uh, you know, I like to go for big challenges just naturally, but I had seen some paddlers out in Hawaii doing long-distance crossings, and that's like a, you know, thousands-of-years-old tradition that they voyage sure. out there. And 
I thought, man, I bet we could do that here. If you just did it in the right way and you rode the Gulf Stream, you could probably get across. And, um, and so that's when kind of the original idea started to brew. And I, I told my parents, hey, you know, I, I think I'm going to do this big crossing. And, and they thought, you know, it was crazy. But they were used to me kind of having crazy ideas. So they were supportive. And uh, I actually took a lot of time off work. Um, I moved home and, and was actually living with my parents for a while while training and making the plans and preparations for the first crossing in 2013. And our goal was to get, you know, each mile pledged for. Um, and that year we raised $15,000 and we had four paddlers and two support boats. And um, 100% of the funds that year were given to the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. That's great. That's unbelievable. And how, how many uh, paddlers has it grown to now? So this year we have 227 paddlers, 85 boats uh, crossing. Wow, that's, that's a amazing. flotilla right there. Yeah, DJ, you got some competition. I know, right? That's all right. I'm coming in first. It's fine. You better. That's fine. He's, <laughs> DJ's been making promises that he was going. I know. He was going to be the first one to cross. So we'll see. I know. So, so Travis, let's let's talk a little bit about. You've got the Salt Supply Program. You got Forever Stoke Scholarships, the Urgent Financial Assistance. Dining days, so all of these programs are funded by the crossing. Is that is that right? Correct. Yeah. So, you know, the reason why we started Piper's Angels was because when Piper was hospitalized when she was eight years old for a really long period of time, it became very black and white and very crystal clear that if it's difficult for our family to manage these long-term hospitalizations, it's got to be really difficult for a lot of the families out there. Yeah. And I just started doing more research on, you know, support. You know, where is the support, right? Because cystic fibrosis has this incredible medical success story, probably one of the greatest success stories in the last 100 years, where kids who are dying at five are now living to be 30, 35, 40, right, and beyond. Yeah. But when you take a progressive terminal disease and you extend somebody's life, you know, a child that, as sad as it is to say, would die at five years old in the 1970s, the emotional burden would maybe never go away for the family, but the financial burden would end with their funeral expenses. Now you take that and you extend it out, and it's not a multiple of them living six times longer. It's compounded. And you guys know this in the financial world. You know, when things are compounded, it grows faster, right? Well, the same thing in the CF world. When you compound a disease where you have, you know, long-term antibiotics and steroid use and you have all of these complications that arise out of living longer – it just puts more of an emotional, psychosocial, physical, and financial burden on the families. And CF is not a huge population. We're talking about 3,000 people in the U.S., right, that probably need urgent financial assistance each year that have cystic fibrosis. Only a few hundred that go through transplant or are preparing for transplant. Only a total of 30,000 that have the disease, which is, you know, half of what's at, you know, a, a National Football League game, right? So... It, it became clear that, you know, that's a small enough group that why aren't they being taken care of? Why aren't the resources there? And if we're going to take a creative way of looking at socially innovative solutions for these families and how to help them, you know, what can we do about it? And, and that's when we decided to relaunch the crossing, launch Piper's Angels, you know, use the crossing to build a platform of advocacy um, and – and we basically focus on what needs come up, and that's how we look at it. We're a very entrepreneurial startup nonprofit. We're only 28 months old. Um, you know, we get 100% of the cost of the event covered through amazing cash sponsorship, like Hensler Financial, like Margaritaville, 
uh, like Zerterra, like many of the companies, Bahama Boatworks. Um, so that way, 100% of the paddlers' fundraising can actually come into the organization, uh, into the, growing the capacity of the organization in the program. Because right now we have two full-time employees, and we cover literally referrals coming in on a national basis, and nine out of ten of those referrals come from the National Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. So we're growing incredibly fast, not just with the event, but with the programs. And so, you know, we work 24-7 on this nonstop. We've got an army of angels that help us uh, in building this to what ultimately we want to create a sustainable event and organization that can very easily provide the resources to take care of the families because they should. You know, you should never have a child sent home because their family's not financially fit for a 15-year-old to get a lung transplant to save their life. That, to me, is unethical, and that, to me, is the solution that we're ultimately working towards, and the biggest goal of all is, is forming an endowment that will take care of these families for the long term. Yeah, yeah. That, that's amazing, Travis, and, and congrats on, on the success of the program uh, thus far, and, and, you know, good luck to to you and DJ um, in, what, 13 days, did you say? 15, 15 days. 15 days. 15 days. So, Travis, how, would, uh, how does somebody need to contact you? If they, wanna, if they feel that they need to reach out and to donate, what's the best way to do so? Well, you know, I always tell everybody my cell phone number is on the, on the website, and maybe that won't be able to be that way forever, but they can call me, and we can talk directly. They can go to pipersangels.org and make a donation on there. They could go to DJ's. Uh, profile on CrowdRise and donate directly to him um, and and go online and check us out. You know, we've got a lot of good video content up there uh, to help tell the story of who we are and what we're doing and why we're doing it. And uh, we encourage and invite everybody to, you know, follow the journey because that's what makes it worth it. You know, if there's one thing cystic fibrosis has taught us, it's when you live facing the diagnosis of the certainty of death and, of course, it's a little bit of a cosmic joke, right, to call somebody terminal because we're all born terminal. And so cherishing the good days and looking each other in the eye and acknowledging who we are and, you know, breaking down any barriers of sharing that love with each other and that compassion for your fellow human beings is, I think, what cystic fibrosis has taught us most. And we call that epic love, you know, because you got to really transcend the boundaries of your own limitations if you're going to bring love and compassion to others and and that's the real gift that this disease has given us as a family and brought us together and that's what we want to share with others that's that's a great story and and we appreciate you being on the show today um and and before we head out here i gotta ask you how old's piper now She's 11, and she'll be turning 12 in october going on you know 25. <laughs> of course, yes of course. <laughs> Well, that's amazing. Well, Travis, we appreciate you being on today. And again, uh, best of luck uh, to, you, to you and DJ. Thank you so much. We really, truly appreciate the support. It makes the world a difference. Well, thank Thanks, you. Man. All right. You listen to Money Talks. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Money Talks. I'm your host, Nick Antonucci, joined by Jacob Keene and DJ Barker. And uh, it was a great segment, DJ. Best of luck yeah. uh, on your paddling. It. I'm excited. You Good better make minutes. it. Oh, I'll make it. Don't you worry about that. All right. It's been a year. I've been waiting on this for any, a year. Any shark concerns with that? Uh, 
well, no, no. You've been no. working on your no. dolphin call. I'm sorry, I brought it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. It's all, only from the, the, the dark hours. Only midnight to 6 a.m. I'm worried about That's that. That's crazy. Other yeah, than that, I'm crazy. good to go. Well, we're looking forward to seeing Make it fun. <laughs> I won't go oh, that far. Hey, at least you're doing it. I, yeah. I, I'm not, I can't even say I'm attempting it, so props to you. All right, guys. Final segment. I think it's time for a little Q&A. Um, this first question here is from Amanda from Woodstock. I know you hate IPOs and all, generally speaking, yes, but I'm quite interested in Beyond Meat. I do vote with my investing dollars, and I fully support meat alternatives in the marketplace. What do you think of their outlook? Man, this has been a fun one to watch, Jacob, because I would have been like two weeks ago, I'd have been like, oh, valuation's too high. And that was, what, 20% ago? Things up like 200% well, it's since double. the IPO on May yeah. 2nd. Unbelie- it's, it's been unbelievable. But every day, it's like a new fast food restaurant comes out. Yeah, we're thinking about doing... I saw today, KFC is going to do... What? Meatless fried chicken, so... You, I, I, you, it could be good. What? I don't know. I don't... Beyond fried... Beyond oh. meat. Beyond fried... <laughs> beyond fried meat. Beyond fried meat, yeah. I mean, that's... But yeah, it's, this... it's just the valuation is where I struggle to wrap my head right. around. And... And can support justifying where it well, is. Well, let's right talk now. about what that. Let, let's talk about what that. I mean, we're talking about a company that's valued at almost six billion dollars right yeah. now, and hasn't even done a hundred million in, in sales. In sales, eighty-eight million dollars, two thousand eighteen. So, we kind of tried to back into it, you know, just for fun. Of course, we're not investing in this for our clients. Right. It's, that's not a regular <laughs> game of not, how do you justify this so valuation? We're not yeah. saying buy it today. We tried to work backwards, and basically we looked at what growth would have to be over the next five years, you know, assumed a certain margin, and then slapped a multiple on it that was a bit higher than, say, like a, a Tyson or Hormel. Right. And basically they have to grow sales at 80%. Every year, every year, year, every year for the next five years, which would get their sales to about 1.8 billion, and we, and I guess they could justify the valuation there. But the problem with this, the this whole thing is, competition's coming. Yeah. Absolutely, you've got <laughs> Nestle that's I guess just now released a meat alternative line. You've got Tyson with one in development right now. And it's not like these small players coming to market. And yeah, yeah and yeah. They got the bank. They yeah. Yeah. They got the muscle behind. They yeah. already have the infrastructure, yeah. distribution. Don't have to worry about cutting these deals. They already have those lines. Yeah, and the relationships. Open. Yeah, I mean it's all there. It's one of yeah. those things I wouldn't want to get in the way of this stock by any no. means. No. No. But, but, I, but I wouldn't buy it. I we've seen some absurd comments from analysts too. There was someone out, you know, just this past week saying uh, he thought the total addressable market for meat alternatives would get to $100 billion over the next 15 years. So I, 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 I'm just looking at GDP. Within GDP, we have what we call personal consumption expenditures. So they've got line items for that. Food in 2016 was, what did I say, $860 billion. Yeah. billion. So basically you're saying like 10%, over 10% of all food sold is going to be a meat alternative? I, I just there's some other statistics I don't quite in there too. Right? What was it? Twenty. <laughs> I don't quite buy it. Statistic, and it was an economist, so like it's a trustworthy source. Yeah. But I just have my trouble wrapping my head around this. It said 25 percent of the population age 25 through 34. Is that what it was? Yeah. I, is is a vegetarian or vegan? 
That seems so high. That is, yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I don't buy that either. I don't, yeah. I don't buy it. And the other thing is, cost. where are they getting these? Where? Yeah. I, Where's I don't the know. market that they're they're finding this information? I mean, it's got to be California. a very, yeah. It's got to be a small. <laughs> I mean, got to be a small. There's probably an segment. asterisk beside it, like ask like twelve people and three of them. Yeah. If you're <laughs> asking the, if you're asking the employees of Beyond Me, yeah. maybe that's what. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? But uh, the other thing we just looked at real quick is cost. So. For half, for basically a pound of the Beyond Burger, is twelve dollars. Ground beef is like two eighty a pound. Yeah. So it's like from a cost perspective, you can even go I to Publix. Know. Even if at four forty nine at Publix, you're paying like full price for that eighty twenty something like that. It's still substantially <laughs> cheaper than buying. And I, I just feel like people won't really be incentivized to just ca- like you go to McDonald's. I feel like a meatless Big Mac. Is not going to be five dollars or whatever it is. It's going to be like ten. Right. So if you're just casually, yeah, the novelty of it, maybe you'll try it once, but you're not going to pay twice as much for something that arguably doesn't taste as good. So basically, right. you're just betting on there being more <laughs> vegans over time, which I, I don't know. Maybe that's yeah, a maybe. sound investment. Could, it's also worth be. noting too. Like we look at nutritional facts. I get it. If you, if you're uh, if you're a vegetarian, this really doesn't matter to you if, when you compare it to beef. But there's, I think there's a lot of people who are just kind of trying this and seeing what it's all about that that aren't vegetarians. And it, I, I feel like it, it's portrayed as this super healthy alternative, when in all reality, it's not like it's yeah. phenomenal well, well, magic food loaded with sodium. I mean, you're not going to get that flavor from these plant-based uh, burgers mm-hmm. without loading it up with preservatives and, and salt. There's like two dozen ingredients. Yeah, there is. It is quite highly processed. Yeah. So, which is interesting. You know, you look at say Whole Foods, right? I mean, their the, their meat counter. They talk about and sell it based off you know grain, right? They, they want grass fed, right? Free range. It's all of that. How are you going to change your market? You know, you go to Whole Foods, you want that right type of food. You don't want cages. You want Grass fed. You don't want a processed burger. No, right? I, I mean, love the whole foods tie-in. Twice. They, I, because I heard, why won't Jeff Bezos just start? <laughs> I heard they caged the peas oh, for geez. the pea protein. Yeah, yeah I heard they cage free, cage free beyond <laughs> meat for me only. <laughs> I, heard, I heard they keep all the peas in, in cages and they just yell at them. <laughs> You're gonna publish that and we're gonna get short the stock. So on the news that they cage their, their veggies. <laughs> Well, you know, this all ties into the recent IPO and the momentum behind this thing. It just ties into something we we fall closely. You know, you say the Amanda said, you know, I know you hate IPOs, and a lot of times we do because there's just this hype behind them that, in so many cases, doesn't come to fruition. Take Uber, take Lyft, for example, recently. Recent, yeah. And then we, we stumble across a company like WeWork, and we're so rooted in in having being able to justify valuation for a company before we invest, and in. we want to see those those cash flows. And this is what the WeWork CEO came out and said, and we just we've just had a heyday with this. Because <laughs> well, you're going to hear it, and then you'll enjoy it. Hung it on the wall. It was so literally. Good. And he, he, I quote: "No one is investing in a co-working company worth twenty billion dollars. That doesn't exist. Our valuation and size today are much more based on our energy and spirituality than it is on a multiple of revenue." That's what you're going to tell. You're it, trying to raise money in an IPO, and that's what you're going to tell your investors. Hey, it's, it's not based on like the financial results we're going to yeah. we're going to produce. But hey, but we can make you feel good. But yeah, like, we but feel like, good hold, we're hold, high hold this crystal. 
Oh, oh my each, just, each chair like comes with her. Detached from reality. Each chair comes with a, a crystal, <laughs> some bracelets. I don't know. And some caged piece. So, oh. as, if you want to actually look at the valuation, the last round of funding valued that company at forty-seven billion dollars. They did one point eight million in in revenue last last year. Their actual loss was one point nine billion. So <laughs> they lost more money than they brought in somehow. But, but, they, how, but they're good. they feel good, though. Everyone's feel a good lot about doing it. Yeah, hey, they feel good losing your money. <laughs> it's okay, folks. Well, it's guys, okay. hopefully that gets the point across about being careful with the IPOs. Just that about careful. wraps up oh the show goodness. for us. Before we go, guys, market up or down next week? DJ? Going up. Up. Come oh, on, man. Come All right. Man. It's going up. Come on. It's going Come up. On. This has been Money Talks. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. See you. All material presented is compiled from sources believed to be reliable and current, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. The contents are intended for general information purposes only. Information provided should not be the sole basis in making any decisions and is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified professional, such as a tax consultant, insurance advisor, or attorney. Although this material is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with respect to the subject matter, it may not apply in all situations. This is not to be construed as an offer to buy or sell any financial instruments. It is not our intention to state, indicate, or imply in any manner that current or past results are indicative of future profitability or expectations. Portfolio holdings discussed are subject to change. There is no guarantee that in the future these securities will be held in Hensler accounts. As with all investments, there are associated inherent risks. Please obtain and review all financial material carefully before investing. Hensler is not licensed to offer or sell insurance products. This overview is not to be construed as an offer to purchase any insurance products.